Welcome to STEM Four's podcast, Understanding Teen Minds, where we explore the world of teenage mental health, looking at everything from signs and symptoms to early intervention. STEM Four is a charity that promotes positive mental health in teenagers and those who support them. This includes their families and carers, education professionals, as well as school nurses and GPs. STEM Four's mission is to foster the development of good mental health in teenagers by enhancing early understanding and awareness, and providing mental health education and resilience strategies. Join us as we open up the conversation on young people's mental health. Hello, and welcome to STEM Four Podcasts. Thank you so much for joining me today. My name is Dr. Nahara Krause, and I'm the CEO and founder of STEM4, a teenage mental health charity based in London. I'm also a consultant clinical psychologist with many years of experience in a variety of mental health settings and a passion for improving the mental health of our young people. In this episode, we look at assessment and early steps to managing anxiety and anxiety disorders in children and young people. Anxiety is a common condition usually managed in general practice in the UK. It's extremely common. Anxiety disorders are the most prevalent mental ill health conditions in children and young people, with around one in eight being diagnosed. Anxiety remains both environmental and genetic, and there is often a strong family link. So a family doctor is well-placed to diagnose, particularly if they know a parent who has an anxiety disorder within that family. Now, DSM-5 classifies anxiety in children and young people in the same way that it does for adults. The categories include social anxiety disorder, obsessive-compulsive disorder, and phobias, as well as common childhood anxiety disorders. The exception of this is post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, and attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD, where children and young people have their own criteria. What's also helpful to keep in mind is that anxiety disorders rarely exist alone. They often coexist with illness and pain, mood disorders, sleep disorders, feeding and eating disorders. And they can also be linked to other neurodevelopmental conditions such as autism spectrum disorder and ADHD. For this reason, it's important to take time when considering the diagnosis and follow the child, young person and their family over a few consultation. Age and developmental factors play a significant role in assessment, as well as a child or young person's overall development. So I'll highlight a few questions and a few diagnostic criteria you may want to look at in the next section. Perhaps what's also useful to keep in mind is that depending on the age, the severity, the duration and the presentation, a referral to psychology, psychiatry, or to a paediatrician for further assessment might also be useful. So first of all, what are the symptoms of anxiety in children and young people? 
children present quite differently to adults when it comes to anxiety disorders. They're most commonly expressed physically, and these include pain symptoms, nausea, and difficult-to-manage behaviours. And due to their physical presentation and breadth of symptoms, they do often warrant consideration of both medical as well as psychological causes. So some of the things that you might want to think about when a child presents is if they're presenting with increased irritability and behavioural outbursts, if they're presenting constantly with butterflies in their stomach or sore tummy, headaches and dizziness that's not explained to any other physical symptoms, if they report being able to feel their heart beating or not being able to breathe when their heart is beating, difficulty concentrating at school, avoidance of a particular place, person or experience, Resistance when separating from primary carers, but in an extreme way, so that it might be impacting on their day-to-day development, such as, for example, going to school. Difficulty sleeping, under-eating or overeating, um, or indeed a variety of other physiological symptoms that adults might present with hot, cold symptoms, muscle aches. Um, those sorts of uh, autonomic arousal systems that might be noticed. So some of the assessment criteria would be to firstly try and use child-friendly language that's easy to understand. So instead of using words like anxiety, it's helpful to use words like being scared, being worried, having a tummy ache or butterflies, or in very young children to even label anxiety as something like the worry monster or the worry part. Normalizing anxiety can also be immensely comforting for children who might be anxious about seeing a GP in the first place. So you could say something like, I've talked to other children who get a bit scared at night when their mum and dad put them to bed. Does this happen to you? Assessment comprises of both psychological and physiological assessment. So some of the easily available and free psychological assessment questionnaires include the Strengths and Difficulties Questionnaire, or the SDQ, and the Spence Anxiety Score, all very easily manageable through a questionnaire format uh, during a consultation. Generally, medical assessment includes checking height and weight, examining eyes, ears, throat, chest, heart, perhaps asking about bowel changes and an abdominal exam. Uh, Blood screening that is often recommended includes thyroid, iron, a full blood count, perhaps vitamin D, uh, and if very recurrent abdominal symptoms, it may be helpful to also test for celiac. Ear, nose and throat referral if sleep disturbance includes snoring. Treatment for children and young people involve learning management strategies that include and embed good cognitive behavioural techniques. 
as well as targeted exercises to help manage physiological responses such as controlled breathing or progress in muscle relaxing. The Clear Fear app by STEM4 follows through with the cognitive behavioural approach which helps children and young people identify um, anxious-based thoughts and try together with routine questions and the help of a worry warrior to try and change such anxious thinking. It also promotes and provides a range of behavioural strategies such as facing your fear gradually or through exposure techniques that are part of behavioural treatments as well as helping with uh, obsessive compulsive symptoms which include learning to check less or to perhaps increase certain phobic avoidance behaviours. For children and young people who might be on the autistic spectrum, helping them understand how anxiety can be enhanced by sensory sensitivity might be helpful and providing some ideas on reducing that, for example, wearing headphones or indeed having alternative fidget spinners to help manage anxiety symptoms can be also helpful. So I've been asked some questions. We often have parents request medication to help with anxiety. What is the current thinking on this? So the first steps in terms of managing anxiety include parental education and support. And they should always follow psychological principles rather than medication-based principles. So some of the tips to parents include helping them to understand and explain what anxiety is. So a very simple physiological model of how when your brain becomes anxious about things, how it might activate your body. A very simple explanation about the fight or flight response. Parents and carers can be very helpful in promoting sleep hygiene strategies and enabling a sleep routine, being able to support and soothe any particular nighttime anxieties that there might be there. Examining their diets, helpful. Uh, Teaching parents and carers behavioural strategies to manage anxiety behaviours. So these include the importance of recognising that fears need to be faced, but one step at a time. So rather than avoiding them in order to reduce distress, providing parents with rationale to break anxiety or the thing that might be avoiding being faced into small steps and then encouraging them to stay with it one small step at a time. And similarly to try and catch for compulsive checking behaviours. How parents themselves model their own anxiety can sometimes be a very powerful influencer. So supporting parents who might be anxious in exploring their own causes of anxiety and encouraging them to seek help can be also very beneficial. There are many other cognitive behavioural online tools that can also help. The NHS website outlines a number of those and also has got a cognitive behavioural tool. I've already mentioned the Clear Fear app. On the STEM4 website is 
a take five technique, which is a very simple controlled breathing technique where a young person may trace their hands whilst they breathe in and out alongside each finger. It provides the very helpful way to try and learn to calm and manage their fear. The next question I have been sent is, how can we as GPs support young people who experience severe exam anxiety? So there's again a number of strategies that can be done. One of the beneficial strategies might be to help them to take their exams in a more comfortable setting. So you could talk to them about whether taking their exam in a separate room or in a smaller room or perhaps where they sit if they can sit at the back of the exam hall or maybe right at the front of the exam hall or close to a door by the exam hall might be beneficial. And a letter from a GP outlining those steps can then be used to provide to the exam invigilators. Children or young people who experience panic attacks will benefit from comfort breaks during exams and to perhaps also have some briefing cards which they can present to an invigilator on how their panic attack might present and also steps to deal with it. So part of that comfort break might be to provide them with supervised breaks outside of the exam hall until they can calm down, for example, or if they need to apply some of their breathing strategies, then that will also be helpful. But alongside managing exam anxiety might also be worth looking at the child or young person's general levels of anxiety. And if they do present with anxiety, either in other performance-based situations or um, as a more generalized format, then to make a referral for some support and help uh, to access some cognitive behavioral strategies in the first instance, or to uh, explore other more complex interventions or other more uh, significant interventions that might support. The final question I've been sent says, I'm noticing a lot of anxiety in my GP colleagues. We are all overworked and under-resourced and increased anxiety in our children and families creates further impact on us. Have you any tips? So a growing number of GPs were reported to have to seek mental health support post-pandemic according to a Pulse survey in January 2023. And there's no doubt um, work pressures contributing to a variety of people reporting with stress, together with difficulties in sleep, for example. So the most helpful thing is to try and get some practitioner help support, and this can be accessed by a 24-7 service that is offered by the NHS primary healthcare providers, There's also support through the British Medical Association, the Royal College of Psychiatrists or Doc Health app. NHS also has some helpful tips on mood zone, which is applicable to adult anxiety. Hope you found today's episode helpful. If you did, then please do leave us a great review wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you'd like more information, you can find a wealth of resources on our website at stem4.org.uk. And you can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn at stem4.org. Links to our website and our five free apps designed specifically for young people can be found in podcast description. I hope you'll join us for our next episode. Until then, keep well. Goodbye.